This is episode number 23 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because, let's face it, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. The liberal mainstream media has lost their minds. They cannot be objective. And the conservative, now state-run media, has been compromised and completely co-opted. We, however, at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. We are broadcasting a day earlier than normal. This is Saturday morning, Los Angeles, California time, for two basic reasons. One, Sunday this week is Easter. And uh, two, uh, because the Mueller report was finally released to the public, at least most of it, some of it was redacted, Uh, a couple of days ago. So the uh, news cycle being as short as it is (laughs) after waiting two years, two days later seems like a long period of time, but I wanted to be able to uh, review the Mueller report as quickly as possible. So that's why we're coming to you a day earlier uh, than normal with the Individual One podcast. Let me start my review of the Mueller report by saying uh, we really nailed it on Bill Barr. Uh, We were one of those who said almost from the very beginning Really? Seriously? We're just going to accept what Bill Barr is saying as being 100% true, despite the fact that he is exceedingly compromised and that a lot of what he was saying didn't make sense based upon what we already knew in the public record. Now, I'll acknowledge my first reaction was to accept that Barr had to be mostly telling the truth. I thought, okay, Maybe he's just shading a little bit. But as we learn more and more, and then there was the pushback from the Mueller team in the media, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This has all the makings of pure grade bullshit. And as it turned out, uh, we were 100% right on that. Bill Barr in a rational world should be forced to resign as Attorney General of the United States based upon how he handled the situation. His initial summary, his four-page summary, was not accurate. It was uh, obviously a political job, a hack job, uh, to try to put the best spin he possibly could, and he was effective at doing it for his boss, President Trump. Now, we've talked numerous times about why Barr was conflicted. I mean, he could not be more conflicted. He was taken out of mothballs. Uh, essentially, he was on the couch in his underwear. Uh, you know, hadn't been in, in public office in a very, very long time, and uh, he decides to write this memo to Donald Trump, unsolicited, ripping Mueller, and saying that the president cannot be charged with obstruction of justice in this situation. And lo and behold, and this really was the key moment of this whole thing, and the media was asleep at the switch, and Trump outsmarted him. When the day after, the day after the midterm election, in the midst of all that chaos, Donald Trump fired Attorney General Jeff Sessions. And the media basically barely even mentioned it. And it's pretty clear now, based upon the Mueller report, that even at that moment, Robert Mueller decided to start to shut down the investigation because he knew time was short because he saw the handwriting on the wall. This is my interpretation but if you look at the timeline, and this, this is interesting because when we did our interview before the Individual One podcast existed, but we've played a clip of this, with Michael Isikoff, the author of Russian Roulette, co-author, that was in December of last year. And he made the analysis that he thought that Mueller was starting to shut down the investigation and that, they, that it was not going to result in any criminal conspiracy with regard to quote-unquote, collusion with the Russian government. And it certainly seems that Isikoff was right, especially with regard to when and how Mueller decided to start to shut this thing down. And it coincides exactly with the, the removal of Jeff Sessions. So Barr then gets the job after Matt Whitaker holds it for 15 minutes. And Barr's got his son-in-law who works for Donald Trump directly. 
Uh, he's clearly very invested in Donald Trump, and people believed him. I mean, th- th- I can't tell you how many respected uh, analysts on both the left and the right said Bill Barr would never destroy his entire career, his reputation, to try to defend uh, Donald Trump. And, and Robert Mueller would immediately come forward and say, no, 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 this isn't true. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. Because there's a, there's a very easy way to do this. You can mislead without directly lying. And that four-page summary was clearly very misleading, especially on obstruction of justice. But frankly, I think it was even misleading with regard to collusion, which I'll get to in a minute. So the summary was a sham. And then we have this press conference. Now, <laughs> this doesn't even pass the laugh test. And, 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 and this was the moment when I knew, okay, the report has to be awful because there's no reason for you to hold a press conference before the media even has the report unless you're very concerned about what you would be asked if they had the report, especially when you schedule this for Thursday before a major three-day holiday where everybody in Congress is already out of town anyway for the recess. This has all the makings of a setup. Now, there's so, so many clips that we could play from, from uh, Barr's press conference, but instead we're just going to play this very short one to give you a sense of what Barr said at the press conference. That's shorter Bill Barr right there. It was all a lie. It was all a lie. Flat out lie. And the the most bizarre moment in the press conference came when, and I'm not exaggerating. I don't have the direct quote in front of me. This is not an exaggeration. That Barr provides a justification for not believing that Trump had committed obstruction of justice. Because, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but this is a fairly accurate paraphrase. Look. The guy was under a lot of pressure, and he got pissed off, and therefore he cannot have the mindset to commit obstruction of justice. Seriously. Seriously. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, But that's what Barr said. As I'm watching, I'm thinking, wow, this is like, you know, my uh, six-year-old daughter, Grace. I am the leader. Do as I say. That's her Trump impression. That's like if we said, well, our six-year-old daughter didn't get her nap today, and she was uh, she had a meltdown, and uh, we can't hold her responsible because she didn't get her nap, and therefore she's not guilty of obstructing justice. That's essentially what happened. Trump didn't get his nap. And so uh, the Attorney General of the United States is going to say, you know what, uh, even though Robert Mueller... Uh, recommended, uh, you know, up to a dozen different episodes could be considered obstruction of justice within the, the Mueller report. I have decided completely objectively as a guy who, who owes everything to Donald Trump and is acting like a political hack instead of the attorney general of the United States, I'm going to decide that this is not obstruction. And I'm going to use this very novel legal theory that uh, you, when you're pissed off, it's okay. Uh, this is absurd. Now, I have to give some credit because uh, we had Matt Lewis on this uh, show several weeks ago uh, in in response to the initial bar summary. And uh, Matt's a friend of mine. He's a commentator for CNN and a columnist for the Daily Beast. And and I thought at the time, and you may recall this if you're a fan of the podcast, I was flabbergasted as to how naive Matt was with regard to analyzing Bill Barr. Because, uh, you know, I think Matt's a very smart guy. And at that point, I had already been convinced this is a scam. Bill Barr is blocking for Donald Trump. This report is going to be way worse than that original summary indicated. And much to Matt Lewis's credit, when the Mueller report finally came out, he actually tweeted a link to this podcast, the podcast where we did the interview, and apologized and essentially acknowledged that he had been naive. So kudos to uh, Matt Lewis, one of the very rare people willing to admit that they were wrong in this day and age. and uh, But this was obvious. And in retrospect, it was always obvious. And 
I, I think this is one of the most important things to understand about the way Donald Trump operates. And obviously Barr adopted this method of, of operation. The key to understanding Donald Trump is that he figured out that because people, especially good people and the elite and those who are in charge, you know, they go by certain standards and rules that the liar always has a huge advantage, huge advantage, especially in this kind of situation, because everyone is very hesitant to call out the attorney general of the United States in a lie where we have no information to disprove it, right? So you're inherently protected. You're protected by, even if people have suspicions that you're lying, they're not going to say it because the repercussions to them, if they're wrong, aren't just not worth the risk. So Trump is understanding this his whole, whole life, that the liar gets an inherent advantage because until there is proof that you're lying, very few people, especially those with anything to lose, are going to call you on it. Those are just the rules. Well, what does that mean? That gives the liar a head start, sometimes a huge head start, because by the time you figure out it's a lie, the damage has already been done. And that's what Bill Barr did. Bill Barr created the narrative of the Mueller report in the minds of every single Trump supporter. He provided them with more than enough to hang their hat on and say, yep, no collusion. It's all bullshit. Uh, this was all a witch hunt. And, you know, now they're going to try to get Trump on some BS obstruction charge, but there's nothing to it. And certainly there's no reason for me to read the report because I just got the truth in a three and a half page summary. And I'm not a very good reader anyway. Let's face it. I love the poorly educated. So the reality is Bard blocks. I mean, if you think of uh, uh, Trump as the quarterback or the running back, Barr is the, the fullback blowing the holes in the line here for Trump to run into the end zone and spike the football. And he did it not once, but twice with the summary and with that press conference. Now, even I, as cynical as I am, while I was not buying it, while I'm watching the press conference, I'm thinking, Wow maybe this report really isn't that bad for Trump because he is really sticking his neck out. I mean, he's making this sound like this really is a true exoneration. And then as uh, I started to actually read the report, the first thing that made me go, okay, this is all bullshit. Barr is clearly uh, lying through his teeth is this whole notion, and this is something that that Barr uh, made a huge deal of in the summary. This was key for, for people who are experts on this subject to go, wow, okay, Mueller must have really not th- thought that Trump did anything criminal, that Barr claimed that Mueller did not, did not take into consideration the notion that a president cannot, as a sitting president, be indicted. Now, that's key. For the average American, they don't even understand what that means. But for the people who are actually experts in this, that was a tell. Like, oh, wow. So it wasn't just a technicality that Mueller decided he couldn't indict because of this the Justice Department uh, you know, memo that has gotten so much play. And this basically, it's a policy. It's not a law. There's, no one even knows for sure if that was ever tested in court whether it could be done or not. But I digress. The point is that Barr claimed on multiple occasions, including in that press conference, that Mueller did not rely on that when he did not recommend a charge. And that was accepted as must be true. Well, if that's true, then that would have meant that Mueller didn't find anything because he's not relying on this DOJ policy. Well, lo and behold, guess what? The report says the exact opposite. And it doesn't just say the exact opposite in one sentence. It says it in numerous pages and makes it exceedingly clear. This is maybe the most, you know, from a non-substance standpoint, big picture, this is maybe the most important point of the Mueller report. And that is that this was not 
a situation where there was nothing there. This was, in fact, a situation where we decided that it is not our place to indict a sitting president. That as a special counsel, that's not our job. And then very specifically, the report outlines how the Congress of the United States could indeed hold the president of the United States accountable for these transgressions in law surrounding obstruction of justice. And so at that point, Barr has zero credibility to me. Zero. And uh, and so therefore, I don't trust anything. I I don't trust the whole ball of wax. And I certainly don't trust these redactions, although the redactions weren't as big a deal, apparently. We don't know because we don't know what's in the redactions yet. But the redactions were about 8% of the report. And there, there had been a lot of speculation that maybe the whole damn thing would be redacted and it would be utterly ridiculous. But, uh, you know, obviously you don't know what's in the redactions until you know. But it, it feels as if the redactions were not uh, that inappropriate. It, probably a lot of it had to do with Roger Stone because that's an ongoing uh, criminal investigation after his indictment. Uh, and certainly, there's a lot of stuff in there about Donald Trump. And what gives me a little bit of uh, solace that the redactions weren't overtly political was the fact that they left in there the quote from Donald Trump when he found out that Mueller was now going to be the special counsel, which is probably the only thing that the average American is going to remember from the entire report. And that is that Trump's first reaction is, I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, this is terrible. My presidency is over. I'm fucked. <laughs> well, the irony, of course, is he's not fucked. And, it, and the large part of the reason why he's not fucked, it, well, there's, a, there's many reasons, which we'll get to. But the, the number one reason is this was not a witch hunt. In fact, this was the opposite of a witch hunt. That's my, my, my headline from the Mueller report is, Trump lied about this being a witch hunt. In fact, this was the opposite of a witch hunt. Not only was it not a witch hunt from the standpoint of there was nothing there, but there was plenty there. On, at, at every level, there was plenty there to warrant this investigation and warrant going, it going two years. But maybe even more importantly than that, Mueller himself did not engage in a witch hunt. He engaged, if anything, in an effort to salvage Donald Trump. And I mean that with, with every fiber of my being. I wrote a column for Mediate, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, or just Google it or go to my uh, Twitter feed, Zygmunt Freud. The, the, and I, I think we even tweeted it at, at uh, Individual One Pod. So check that out. And, and because the basics of it are that, you know, a lot of liberals or, or Trump critics in general thought that Robert Mueller was a Superman. That he was going to sweep in and save the day. And I, I told people both publicly and privately, whoa, you guys are really putting a lot on Mueller's shoulders. He, he, he is not Superman. He can't magically prove things that are impossible to prove. And, uh, and he may not be you know, the guy who's going to end up you know, salvaging the world from the presidency of Donald Trump. In fact, he might do the opposite. And if, I, even I was surprised at how much I think he ended up doing the opposite. So my, the basics of my column is that I think that Mueller may have been intimidated by Donald Trump, not as a human being. I mean, Mueller's a Marine war hero. Trump's a, a, a middle school bully, uh, you know, who, who uh, you know, shouldn't intimidate anybody because he's a fraud. Uh, but what I mean by intimidated is this. I think, and this is another part of Trump's genius, whether by design or by accident, I think Trump constantly calling this a witch hunt and ripping Mueller for over a year, it did two important things. One, it destroyed Mueller's credibility within uh, Trump's cult. I love the poorly educated. And that was all by design because they were, they were preparing their cult for this day when the Mueller report finally came out. Don't trust anything because Mueller's a bad guy, even though he's a lifelong Republican, Marine, war hero, stellar career, all the rest. So that's the first thing that it did. It destroyed Mueller's credibility with the people that mattered. Number two, I think it had at least a subconscious impact 
on Robert Mueller. And this is natural. He's a human being. A person like Mueller takes their objectivity and their integrity very seriously. And so when your integrity is being questioned and you're being charged by the president of the United States on a almost daily basis with being in charge of a witch hunt, what's the natural human reaction going to be? The natural human reaction is going to be to make sure you are not perceived as engaging in a witch hunt. And that's what Mueller did. Because when you actually read this report, Robert Mueller is Donald Trump's best friend. Again, I mean that sincerely. Because time and time again in reading the Mueller report, the conclusions that Mueller could have come to if he wanted to, if he was on anything close to a witch hunt, would have been far, far more damning and far more dramatic. In fact, it's in, in reading parts of the Mueller report, my reaction was, whoa, wait a minute. If you, if you don't think this is proven, Robert Mueller, what's your level, your burden of proof that you're using? It's, it's off the charts. I, I'm, I'm wondering if Robert Mueller would have indicted O.J. Simpson for murder. Well, you know, we've got two dead people and uh, his blood at the scene and the blood and their blood in, in his car. And I just don't know. I, I just can't see it. I, I you know, we, we, there's, he's not exonerated. We're not going to exonerate O.J. Simpson, but we just don't think there's enough there for to ensure a conviction. Of course, O.J. didn't get convicted, but that was for entirely different reasons, having nothing to do with the truth of the evidence. But I mean, that's that's the level we're talking about here. Let me give you a couple of examples that we talked about previously on the podcast. There are two situations that I'm flabbergasted by and, and, and very frustrated by as well. One deals with this Michael Cohen BuzzFeed report. We had Ben Smith, the managing editor of BuzzFeed, on uh, a couple weeks ago to talk about this this very controversial report that got a lot of attention at the time that there was evidence that the special counsel had that that uh, Donald Trump had suborned Michael Cohen's perjury about the Trump Moscow Tower situation and I, I I reiterate and the and the Mueller report certainly further substantiates my view that the Moscow Tower project was at the heart of this whole thing that was the core of the story. The media still doesn't understand that. I am stunned as to how little coverage this gets to this day. I mean, I would I'd be ventured to guess that maybe only 15 to 20 percent of the public is even aware that Donald Trump during most, if not all, of the 2016 presidential campaign was using the Republican presidential nomination to get a Trump Tower built in Moscow and lying about it and then had his personal lawyer whether directly or indirectly, or somewhere in between, lie about that to Congress. That's the core. That's the center of the scandal. Everything else, you know, is I think at least most of it is is directly or indirectly related to that. But very few Americans even know about that because of the way that the story came out. Again, I don't know whether or not to give Trump and Rudy Giuliani enormous credit for being brilliant or just ridiculously lucky or, or somewhere in between. But that's, that's the essence of this whole thing. And when you read the report, you know, Mueller had famously pushed back against the BuzzFeed story. And, and, and to me, it was a matter of semantics. I mean, because there's no other explanation for why Cohen decides to tell Congress that this thing ended in January of 2016. Where did he get that idea, if not for, from Trump or his lawyers? Well, I urge you, it's about... I think it's about 10 pages, maybe a little bit longer than that, uh, in the Mueller report that deals with this issue. And as you're reading it, you're going, wow, they got a lot of evidence on this. I mean, there's, it's, you know, and, and without getting into all the details, basically it comes down to this. Mueller decided, you know what? Since Trump's lawyer refused to answer questions about this, and because Trump told us in his written answers after not giving us an interview that he promised 100% and then chickening out, that Trump said he doesn't remember what he told Michael Cohen about what to say to Congress. So because Trump's lawyer, 
who the evidence indicates changed uh, and approved Michael Cohen's testimony to Congress because he won't answer follow-up questions. And because the president says, I don't remember, well, we just can't prove it. Oops. Oh, well. You know, those are just the breaks. That's, that is, first of all, that's not an exoneration. <laughs> that's not remotely close to an exoneration. That's, we are holding the burden of proof here to a ridiculously high standard. Why? Well, maybe because it's the President of the United States and maybe because we're afraid of being accused of engaging in a witch hunt. So we're only going to make uh, theoretical charges here on situations that we have 100% deadlock cinch cases for. Well, again, tell me what the alternative explanation is. And, you know, and Michael Cohen is, is claiming, well, now I can tell the whole truth. Well, you know, part of Trump's luck here, of course, is that Cohen has completely destroyed himself as a credible witness because he's going to prison and, 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 is, a, and is an admitted perjurer to Congress. I believe that it's clear that what Cohen was doing was doing Trump's bidding by lying in the way that he did. You know, one of the things that I think uh, benefits Trump here, and, and he benefits a lot from his own wickedness. But uh, because Cohen is such a ridiculous sycophant to Trump at this time, back when he was still Trump's personal attorney, because he knows Trump so well, and because he's willing to do anything to protect Trump, it didn't require Donald Trump to say to Michael Cohen, I want you to lie to Congress, and here's how you're going to do it. Apparently, those words were never used. But that's not the standard for suborning someone's perjury, especially when they're president of the United States. Donald Trump is Tony Soprano. You think Tony Soprano was stupid enough, the HBO, uh, you know, mafia boss? You think Tony Soprano was ever stupid enough to say directly, hey, you're going to lie to Congress and here's what you're going to say? There's no need to do that. But all you know throughout the Mueller report, Trump comes off as a mob boss. We got a mob boss as president of the United States. We're better than that. Nah, I'm not sure we are. I, I'm really not sure we are. But that's that's where we are right now. And so Trump gets uh, gets away with suborning Cohen's perjury on the core issue in this whole investigation because Mueller. Again, whether it's because he got intimidated or he's exceedingly fair or somewhere in between, decides, you know what, that doesn't quite reach the standard. And then there's the issue of another time, one of the 37 times, 37 times, the big, bad, truth-telling Donald Trump, 37 times in written answers. Not 37 times in an extended four-hour interview where you're talking off the cuff. 37 times in written responses to a fairly limited number of questions, 37 times the President of the United States says, I don't remember. But the most, the, the most... It's just flat out ridiculous. The most absurd example of that was when asked about his knowledge of the infamous Trump Tower meeting in June of 2016, where... His son, his son-in-law, and his campaign chairman meet with Russian operatives about getting dirt on his presidential opponent, Hillary Clinton. Now, can we please do the math on this? Donald Trump is a control freak of epic proportions. He claims to have the greatest memory in history. He has done this on numerous occasions. He's bragged about his memory, all right? <laughs> This was an exceedingly memorable situation. Exceedingly memorable. And uh, he was there that day. He was even scheduled to meet with Paul Manafort, who was in the, in the infamous meeting that morning. He says he doesn't remember if that meeting actually occurred, but that's on his calendar. And his answer to whether or not he was informed of that meeting was, I don't remember. I don't remember. You got to be kidding me. That is a total lie. That is perjury. That is, that is obstruction of justice, however, however you want to refer to it. Because you could go in both directions if you want. But, I mean, that is a lie in his answer to Robert Mueller. He absolutely remembers. 
And if he doesn't remember, then what the hell is he doing writing his son's inaccurate uh, statement on the meeting? How How does that make any sense? Can we, can we just use our brains for half a second? So Donald Trump Jr. lies about the meeting. We know that. He lied about it numerous times. And then finally he sort of comes clean, but he comes clean in a statement that was written by his dad. Now, how do you write a statement about that that happens to be inaccurate if you have no recollection of the meeting, if you had no knowledge of it? But it's even bigger than that. If you just use your common sense, this is, this is, there's no chance that Donald Trump Jr. did not inform his father immediately that he was, that he was going to meet with Russians who were offering dirt on Hillary Clinton. I mean, this would have been like if Donald Trump Jr. had gotten a phone call uh, from Tiger Woods and, uh, and Tiger told Donald Trump Jr., hey, I want to uh, go golfing with your dad with a couple of Playboy models that I met. Uh, when can we make that work? And, uh, and Donald Trump Jr. never bothers to tell his father. What, what's going to happen if Donald Trump Sr. finds out, what, Tiger Woods wanted to play golf with me with a bunch of Playboy models and you never said anything? What the hell are you doing? <laughs> I mean, that's effectively what happened. There is zero chance, zero, that Donald Trump didn't know about that meeting. And yet Mueller goes, well, he didn't admit to it, so there's nothing we can do. What? Seriously. This is the guy that's on a witch hunt. This is the witch hunt guy. Uh, he, he, he is, uh, I mean, look, Mueller's in a tough spot. I, I'm not, I don't want to rip on Mueller too much. But this notion that he was on a witch hunt is not just a lie. It is 180 degrees from the truth. He did Donald Trump every possible favor, including on collusion. Now, I realize that because Barr was so successful in destroying the notion that collusion had been proven because of that four-page summary, which had three weeks to marinate in the public narrative and then his his BS press conference where he says, no collusion, no collusion, no collusion. I mean, it was like a Trump Twitter feed, basically. No collusion, no collusion, no collusion. I mean, <laughs> look, here's what, here's what the Mueller report found. The Mueller report found no evidence of a criminal conspiracy with the Russian government. Wow. Wow. Woof. Wow, that's just awesome. Thank goodness. That's great. So we can all rejoice, ladies and gentlemen, that our president, the president of the United States, was not proven to have engaged in a criminal conspiracy with an adversarial foreign power. But what does that mean in the real world? In the real world, that means, you know what? We didn't find an email between uh, Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin agreeing that they were going to collude together. We didn't find a videotape or an audio tape. Um, so there's no, there's no evidence that this was done on purpose and as part of a conspiracy because that's what the law says. The law is exceedingly narrow. It's probably too narrow. In fact, I'm sure it's too narrow. One of the things that Congress really ought to do if they're smart, ha-ha, is they ought to uh, pass a, uh, several laws related to why it was that Trump was able to, to escape criminal prosecution here. Because, no, I don't think our Congress ever thought that something like this was possible. And so, therefore, the law wasn't written properly. So, the, the idea that there's no evidence of collusion is, is absurd. It's not true. It's, it's just flat out ridiculous. I, because there was collusion. Now, was there criminal collusion? Was, uh, you know, this is all a definitional thing. I, you know, <laughs> I, I'm thrilled that we don't have any evidence, uh, direct evidence, that the President of the United States is uh, compromised by Russia. There's some indirect evidence, though, still, and it's in the Mueller report. Like, for instance, uh, there's some evidence in the Mueller report that Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State, was essentially approved by Vladimir Putin. That's not an exaggeration. That's in the report. So, I mean, 
There's so many things in this report that will get lost that in a rational world, if they were standing alone and the American public was forced to concentrate and focus on them for more than 15 seconds, they might have an impact. That's one of them, but the vast majority of citizens will have no idea because they're not going to read the report. And Trump knows this. And Bill Barr knows this, and that was Bill Barr's job, to keep as many people from reading the report as possible. Nothing to see here. Move along. And let, let's, let's face it, the average American is a moron, and Trump understands this better than anybody. I love the poorly educated. And they're not going to read or understand, comprehend a 400-page complicated report. They're not going to have the time, the interest, especially when... They can just go to their favorite media outlets like Fox News or talk radio that will make them feel better about what it is they already wanted to believe in the first place, which was no collusion, witch hunt, vindication, uh, exoneration. No, 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 no. Trump was not exonerated on collusion. In fact, if anything, there was more evidence of collusion uh, than even I expected. I have never believed in the Manchurian candidate theory. I've never believed that this was a situation of, uh, of an agreement being made. I've said numerous times that, especially since Trump doesn't do email, that proving quote-unquote collusion was going to be exceedingly difficult. I mean, how, how would you prove it? Especially when you're using the standard of proof that, that uh, Mueller used, which was exceedingly generous to Donald Trump. But there was not exoneration here on collusion. There, there was no evidence of a criminal conspiracy with the Russian government. And one of the things I got right immediately, I, I said in that summary, wait a minute, why is Bill Barr referencing specifically the Russian government? He clearly made a distinction, which is my suspicion at the time, between the Russian government and WikiLeaks. Now, technically, that might be legitimate. But in reality, in the real world, it's clear from the report that the Trump people were working in conjunction with WikiLeaks, which is an, effectively an arm of the Russian government. To the point where Julian Assange, the report says, that, Ju- that Julian Assange was, was putting the, the Seth Rich conspiracy theory out there. You remember that bullshit story? That somehow this Democratic uh, uh, official who got murdered in Washington, D.C., and they couldn't find who killed him, that he was the source that provided the the leaked emails. Well, that was a lie. The Mueller report says it was a lie. Seth Rich had nothing to do with this, despite what Sean Hannity and many others humiliated themselves by saying constantly. It was obviously a crazy conspiracy theory to begin with, with nothing to back it up. And, And Julian Assange put this lie out there, according to the Mueller report, to try to protect Russia. Because if they could, they, if they could put forward the narrative that this was Seth Rich, first of all, they, they help Trump and they you know, create conspiracies about Hillary, which is a large part of, of what the entire Russian uh, influencing campaign was about. If they could do that, it would, it would throw the scent off of Russia. Well, it was Russia. That's why you create a bullshit cover story involving Seth Rich. And so there's the, the relationship between the Trump campaign and WikiLeaks clearly is collusion, depending on how you define it. Is it criminal conspiracy? I'm not an expert in the law. Clearly, Mueller decided it was not. But that is not exoneration. Here's what exoneration would have been on collusion, Okay. This is important. Listen up. Here's if the report really exonerated Donald Trump on collusion. Here's what we would have found. Wow. Um, Look, uh, we've investigated this for two years. And uh, remarkably, we found that guess what? Uh, Russia really didn't try to influence the election. Or if they did, they really didn't care who won, whether it was Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And, uh, and, And really, there were no contacts between the Russian government and the Trump campaign, as opposed to 16 different people in the Trump campaign who had contacts with Russia either during the campaign or during the transition. So there were, there were no contacts. And when we did this investigation, the president of the United States, he gave us this interview immediately 
voluntarily. He was very upfront and answered all of our questions. Never once said he didn't remember on something that uh, he clearly should have remembered. And we found his explanations to be quite good. Uh, the Regarding the, the Comey firing, uh, where he said it was all about Russia, this was purely because... Uh, of his frustration over knowing that the story was not true because there were no contacts with Russia and he knew there weren't any. And so this was just a big misunderstanding. And we have found that there was never any intent to collude. There was no actual contact and there was no influence by the Russian government on this election for Donald Trump. That would have been exoneration. Guess what didn't happen? Anything I just said. Nothing I just said is remotely consistent with the report. Nothing. Nothing. There were numerous contacts. And guess the biggest headline of all this, which Trump is still not accepting. And regardless of your belief about how important this is or about Donald Trump himself, it is amazing to me that even on the right, I have so little faith in the cult and the state-run media, you would think there would still be some level of accountability. Some. That Donald Trump is not accepting the primary finding of the Mueller report, which is, yep, Russia did try to influence the election, and they did try to do it on behalf of Donald Trump. Trump is still not accepting. The day after the report came out, he tweeted, if, if Russia did this, it didn't matter. By the way, I'm not even accepting it didn't matter. I have, um, I've thought about this a lot. I wrote one column maybe a year or so ago looking very deeply at the numbers in Michigan and Wisconsin and whether it was possible in such close elections that Russians' influence might have tipped that for Donald Trump in those two states. I think there's an argument that can be made. I think that argument has now been augmented by the Mueller report. Because guess where Russia focused their attention, their online disinformation campaign about Hillary Clinton. They focused it on four states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and oddly enough, Minnesota. I have no idea why Minnesota. (laughs) I have no idea why they thought Minnesota was really in play, but okay. But those are the three states that won the election for Donald Trump, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And it's really important to point out the reason why Hillary lost Wisconsin and Michigan was because her people didn't turn out in anywhere near the numbers that were expected. Now, that's 100% consistent with an underground, outside-the-radar, anti-Hillary Clinton disinformation campaign that was created by the Russian government. That still doesn't mean that Trump's victory is illegitimate. Because even if those two very, very close elections, Wisconsin and Michigan, go for Hillary, she still loses. Unless Trump also loses Pennsylvania. Now, Pennsylvania wasn't as close. It was close, but it wasn't as close as Wisconsin and Michigan. And also, importantly, Hillary's turnout was not that bad in Pennsylvania. In fact, it was more than good enough to win in most years. For a Democrat, what happened in Pennsylvania was very different than what happened in Wisconsin and Michigan. Trump's turnout was insane. Trump somehow got absurdly good turnout in what was my original home state of Pennsylvania. How he did it, I'm not sure. I I mean, I've spent a lot of time there in the last few years in central Pennsylvania. The central Pennsylvania turnout for Donald Trump was crazy good. So I'm not willing to say that Russia determined that Donald Trump won the election. There's In a close election, there's a, a hundred different factors that could determine who is the winner and who's the loser. But I think it was a factor. I think it was a significant factor. And I, I am willing to accept that uh, if Russia doesn't get involved, then Wisconsin and Michigan probably go to Hillary Clinton. And by the way, that right there... Now we're talking about a recount in Pennsylvania because now Pennsylvania is everything as opposed to having the backup of uh, Wisconsin and Michigan. It's also important to point out that the WikiLeaks thing clearly had an impact on the narrative of the last month of the campaign. And who knows how that influenced things? 
whether it was in Pennsylvania or elsewhere. So, look, is it good that, uh, <laughs> that apparently our president did not engage in a criminal conspiracy with the Russian government? Yes, fantastic. That's awesome. But the idea that there was no collusion or that, uh, that, w- that this was somehow a witch hunt or that, that Russia didn't influence the, the campaign on behalf of Donald Trump is just a flat-out lie. And, you know, another part of this collusion thing about exoneration on collusion, and, and this is, again, where, where Robert Mueller, I think, goes soft or maybe exceedingly fair. But it feels to me like there's no way that we could have known whether or not there was a criminal conspiracy. Because, yeah, it wasn't proven. The burden of proof was exceedingly high. You basically need a written agreement between Russia and and Trump, which isn't going to happen. You don't need that. But we also have not only Donald Trump not doing an interview like he promised to, saying 37 times in written answers that he can't remember. We also have other people taking the Fifth Amendment, and there's evidence that some communications were, were, were expunged and erased, that evidence was destroyed. Now, can you imagine, you know, when, when Republicans and conservatives look at the Clintons, and I'm as anti-Clinton as they get, done, uh, you know, my first major documentary film was an anti-Clinton movie. I, I can't stand Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton. But the, the amount of hatred and the presumption of guilt by conservatives of the, of the Clintons would, would have you uh, conclude that if there was evidence that people had taken the Fifth Amendment and the Clintons refused to do an interview and in the written answers that all they said was, I can't remember, and there was destruction of evidence. Destruct, I mean, think about that, folks. When you destroy evidence in an investigation like this, uh, there's got to be a reason. <laughs> that doesn't happen by accident. It would be presumed by conservatives that, aha, that's the proof that we're just never going to be able to to get to that there really was a criminal conspiracy here. Does that prove it? No. But I'm not sure that Mueller could have proven it even if it happened, even theoretically. And I I had theorized at one point, in fact, the day that the uh, summary came out, we did an interview with Rick Wilson. And... Rick and I talked, you may recall this in, in that episode of the Individual One podcast, we talked about this theory that, well, maybe what Mueller really was doing here was just putting his hands up in the air and saying, look, I, I can't get to the bottom of this because there's so much obstruction. There, there, whether it's, as I just mentioned, the destruction of evidence, taking the Fifth Amendment, not the president not doing an interview, and no one turning on Trump because he's dangling pardons. And you know what? I think that that's in part what really happened here. It's just that Mueller didn't say it. I really do believe that if Mueller wanted to, he could have crushed Donald Trump in this report. He could have said, look, there is so much obstruction here, we can't come to a conclusion on whether or not there was a criminal conspiracy with Russia. We don't know. And we think that more needs to be done to find out whether or not that happened because there's a lot of smoke here. But he doesn't do that. Time and time and time again, Mueller gives Donald Trump the benefit of the doubt. And frankly, uh, you know, I don't believe that Donald Trump deserves the benefit of the doubt because I think Donald Trump is a liar. I think Donald Trump is a bad person. I, I think he doesn't know what he's doing. I think he was trying to protect... A lot of things. I think he was trying to protect the Trump Tower Moscow project because I think he mistakenly thought that even his cult wouldn't let him get away with that. But I also think, and this is another element of the of the report that uh, that disappointed a lot of liberals, especially Rachel Maddow of MSNBC, and that is they don't get to in, get into anything regarding the financial aspects of this, that Trump's finances. Now. Who knows? Maybe there was nothing there, but it certainly feels as if from the report that they didn't even really look into that, which is what what, of course, Trump said was the red line, that he was not going to allow um, Mueller 
to go into his finances. Well, the finances are huge here because you're looking for motivation. You're looking for connections. You're looking for evidence that maybe Trump really is compromised in some way by Russian elements. And if you don't get into the finances, I mean, finances are everything to Donald Trump, then how can you possibly ever know? And so the report is really incredibly narrow. It's also remarkably devastating in a rational world. But we don't live in a rational world. And maybe the most upsetting parts of the report to me are the precedents that are now being set for the future in every possible way. Like, what, what is to stop someone in the future from colluding with a, an adversarial foreign power? Basically, we, we've set the rule that as long as there's not a written agreement, it's all good. Go for it. Go for it. And, and frankly, you're going to be more protected in the future because, you know, let's say Trump decides to do this again. In theory. I'm talking about in theory. Let's, see, let's say, say that Russia tries to influence the 2020 election on Trump's behalf. The media is going to be so cowed, so intimidated, because they've been burned in perception on this story already, that if there's indications that Russia's doing it again, Trump's just going to be able to say, fake news, fake news, fake news. And we won't find out about it until it's too late. And his voters won't care anyway because the media's already lost their credibility on this. Look, the media deserves some fault for why Trump's going to get away with all this. They created insanely high expectations for what Mueller was going to be able to prove and what he was going to find. In retrospect, given how narrow Mueller viewed his job here, it was never ever, ever going to be a situation where collusion was proven. There's no way. And as far as obstruction, I mean, he outlines about a dozen different situations where Trump obstructed justice, but I've already gone through where it's clear that his standard of proof was exceedingly high, too high. He gave Trump every benefit of the doubt. And even still, there are numerous episodes that even Mueller believes clearly are worthy of the Congress of the United States looking at impeachment of the president regarding. Now, the other side says, well, how can you have obstruction of justice when there was no underlying crime? Oh, my God. I I must have been tweeted that uh, at least several dozen times since the report came out. And um, this this is incredibly frustrating because it's not that difficult a concept, folks. First of all, that's not the way it works when you're president of the United States, okay? That's number one. The the standard ought to be much better than that, right? We're better than that. No, we're not. We're not better than that. But number two, we don't know if there was an underlying crime because the obstruction was so successful. So what you're doing, what you're saying is, and of course you would never say this about a Democrat. I mean, can we just be clear about this? It's obvious, but it, it deserves being said. If... This report was about a Democrat, <laughs> and it came from a Democratic, you know, longtime Democrat, like Robert Mueller's a longtime Republican, who's respected. Uh, Republicans, conservatives, uh, you know, the critics of the president, whether it's Hillary Clinton or somebody else, would have been on fire. They would have been on tw- Fox News Channel, would have been on 24-7 Fox News Alert, until the end of time. Here's what would have stopped. Here's, here's how much live coverage of this Fox News Channel would have provided if all the facts were the same, but it was about a Democrat. They would have gone live until the moment that O.J. Simpson murdered Kim Kardashian. That's what it would have taken for Fox News Channel to say, okay, wait a minute, we're going we're gonna to take a break from this for about an hour, and then we're going to get right back to the report. Because it would have taken that level of story for... Uh, Fox News Channel in, in the reverse. But of course, instead, other than Chris Wallace and Shepard Smith, you know, very small uh, exceptions to the rule, Fox News Channel has been doing nothing but feeding the cult, which is why Trump's going to be fine here. This is going to have very little, if any, political impact on him. And, you know, it's that's depressing to me because I'm somebody that believes in truth and justice 
And I'm beginning to believe that there's a very simple equation for understanding who is going to win and who's going to lose in any major public controversy. That's all, all you have to do is who is the least moral person or side of any controversy? And they're the ones that are going to win. And the side that's moral is probably going to lose. Right does not win in most cases anymore. Hardly any cases. Wrong wins far more than right does. Up is down. Down is up. Right is wrong. Wrong is right. Truth does not matter. Truth is complicated. Nuance doesn't matter. All that matters now are headlines. And Trump's headline, no collusion, exoneration. It's all bullshit, but that's a winning hand. Because in response, you got to go, well, well, wait a minute. Hold on. Let's look at the 400-page report. No one's going to look at the 400-page report. Nobody that matters. Certainly no Trump fans. That's just the reality of this. And frankly, you know what? I, I think a lot of the, the, the Trump fans really like this. They love seeing Donald Trump get away with this. They, they know, and, and I can tell from the amount of profanity I get from cult members on my Twitter feed, that they know that this is bad. And whenever Trump has done something really bad, the Trump cult members will, the level of profanity that they hit me with increases dramatically. But I, I think that they enjoy this. I think they enjoy the bad guy getting away with it. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? So where do we go from here? Um, You know, the Republican response to this has been pathetic. Fucking pathetic. Uh, You know, I I tweeted uh, the day of the report, hey, Mitt Romney, where are you, dude? You know, are you? And finally, Mitt Romney came out with a statement late on a Friday, on Good Friday. uh, And, you know, while it's better than anybody else has done, it, it still was very lacking. Even I uh, gave it too much credit when it first came out. He said he was sickened by reading the report, which he should have been. But he also mischaracterized what Mueller concluded specifically on obstruction of justice. And I perceive that as a way of Romney saying, look, if Trump gets impeached, I still have the ability to vote not guilty. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing, because he was claiming that there was no finding of obstruction of justice. So Romney, I think, is trying to have it both ways. And I have said, and I think this is vindicated, like a lot of things I've said about this whole situation have been vindicated this week. But I said many, many months ago that the reason why Trump was going to survive all this is that there's not a large enough core of people with a soul on the Republican side in the Senate for there to be any traction or protection for anyone else joining that cause. And what I mean by that is this, John McCain's dead. Okay. John McCain's death. And I said this, there's been too many deaths in the last year or so that benefit Trump on this. Charles Krauthammer's not at Fox news channel to shame everyone uh, into saying, Hey, wait a minute. This is, this is outrageous. Why are we supporting this? You know, George W. Bush is or George Herbert Walker Bush is gone. Barbara Bush is gone. uh, And John McCain is gone. John McCain, if he was still in the Senate, he would have joined with Mitt Romney. And I think there's a reasonable chance that Lindsey Graham still would have had his testicles instead of, you know, apparently Lindsey Graham put his testicles in John McCain's casket uh, because they're gone now. Uh, Ever since McCain died, Graham has become a sycophant. For, for Donald Trump. In fact, it happened you know, basically since John McCain left the Senate, even before he died. So in a, rational, in, a, in, a, in a world that existed only a couple of years ago, if McCain was healthy, McCain and Romney together, maybe with, with Lindsey Graham, now you got a core. Now you got protection. Now other people who might be wanting to call Trump out have some cover, but there's no cover. And even Mitt Romney has no cover, and Romney put that statement out basically for his own conscience. No, no one else is going to follow. That's not going to provide enough cover for there to be any kind of movement in the Republican Senate. It's just not going to happen. So with McCain being dead, Graham being gone, Romney's just going to be out on his own, and Romney's going to do it in a, you know, frankly, uh, a very uh, weak fashion. 
So there's not going to be any movement in the Republican Senate, certainly not for removal from office. Now, what are Democrats going to do with regard to impeachment? Look, I have been on the record for a long time saying that uh, Trump should be impeached, regardless of whether or not he's going to be removed. He's not going to be removed, barring some cataclysmic event. And that would mean probably the economy tanking and something even worse than that from an ethical standpoint being found. But Democrats are in a, in a tough spot, partially because they screwed this up. In retrospect, and in fact, it's not even retrospect because I've been saying that they should have done this for a while now. Here's what should have happened with regard to impeachment. As soon as Democrats took the House, the first thing they should have done is said, okay, we are starting impeachment proceedings based upon Trump's violation of the emoluments clause of the Constitution, which is almost on a daily basis, and on this Michael Cohen campaign finance situation. Because those things were already known at that time. We're not going to impeach him yet. We're going to start the proceedings. We're going to start an you know, investigation in the Judiciary Committee. That would have set the predicate that this is legitimate, this is where we're going, and that things that have already happened and already are known are worthy of at least an impeachment inquiry. But they didn't do that because they, I think they thought that Mueller was going to give them more, both politically and factually, than he did. And they wanted to wait before they went down the impeachment road. I get why they did that, but it was a mistake. Because now, anything that happens before the Mueller report is seen, well, wait a minute, well, you, didn't, you didn't feel like that was worthy of impeachment. How can that be worthy of impeachment now? Because Mueller didn't give you everything you wanted. So now they're in a tough spot. Is the, the report itself worthy of impeachment from a factual standpoint? 100%. But you're not going to be able to remove, and because of what Barr did, and because there's some, uh, including Steny Hoyer, uh, the majority leader of the Democratic House, who have already said it's just not worth it politically, there's going to be some pushback. There's going to be a battle within the Democratic Party as to how to handle this. The presidential candidates, like even Elizabeth Warren, which is very strange for Elizabeth Warren to be saying things that I agree with. That's what a strange world we live in. But Warren uh, came out in favor of impeachment, saying that we have to do this essentially for history, which has always been my argument. We got to do this for history. Donald Trump cannot be seen in history as the same as George Herbert Walker Bush. That's assuming, by the way, he loses, which I'm not sure he's going to lose. But, I mean, at best, what Democrats are saying is, well, let's do this at the box office. Box office. The ballot box. Same thing, kind of. But Democrats are saying, let's just beat him at the ballot box. Well, if you do that, how's history going to judge Donald Trump? He's the same as George Herbert Walker Bush, a one-term president who was not impeached, who is going to be able to claim some successes, and, you know, no, no, nothing different, really. He didn't even get impeached like Bill Clinton did. And, and to me, from a historical standpoint, that's very dangerous because of the precedents. I mean, the precedents that I've already referenced here are incredibly dangerous. The, the things that a president can get away with, the things that a foreign adversary can get away with based upon uh, the rules that we've now created here and that Robert Mueller has allowed to go without you know, enormous condemnation or some sort of technical charge. It, it's very disturbing. And the future, I think, could be bleak unless we do something really dramatic right now. But I, I just don't see... I, my guess is that Trump will be will not be impeached. Whether it be, will there be some uh, censure or will impeachment proceedings be begun? I think that's certainly possible. But based upon what we currently know, maybe we'll find out more stuff, I think it's going to be very difficult for Democrats to pull off an impeachment, especially because of the timing, because we're far too close to the 2020 election cycle. Uh, now, there is the fact that the, because the candidates for the 2020 Democratic nomination are so uh, pandering to the progressive, most partisan elements of the party, they're all going to be in favor of impeachment because, right, they don't want to look like they're soft. So that's actually going to push some momentum towards impeachment. But 
and I don't feel strongly about this. My guess is right now, gun to my head, Trump will not be impeached, which is is disappointing because he should have been. Frankly, he should be removed uh, uh, by even what we already know. But we don't live in that world. And because the Republican Party has become a cult, because Fox News Channel and the state-run media are giving that cult exactly what they want, all they're going to know from this report is no collusion, clean bill of health. It was all a witch hunt. It was all uh, Democrats got uh, egg all over their faces. The media has egg all over their faces. But that's just not true. I realize details don't matter. Nuance doesn't matter. Facts don't matter. Truth doesn't matter. But at least on this program, it does. The truth matters. And the truth is that when you read this report, Donald Trump does not, does not belong in the White House. He is unworthy of his office. Correct. And we now know this for 100% sure. And if we allow this to stay, we allow this to be to happen without major accountability or repercussions. If this is allowed to stand, what won't we stand for? The mind boggles. But um, but I'm not optimistic. <laughs> uh, some some members of the media are way too optimistic. They're delusional. I, I mean, Rachel Maddow was like watching Rachel Maddow was like watching the. Uh, the kid who wanted a pony for their birthday and that, and uh, you know, they go into the barn and all there is is a, is a pile of shit and they start digging through all the shit convinced that the pony's got to be here somewhere. Uh, she was all giddy. And I'm like, do you not understand that you lost Trump won Trump won. He didn't deserve to win, but he won. And I've said numerous times, we're just trying to figure out what the final score is. I don't know exactly what the final score is, but Trump won, but he didn't win for the right reasons. And it's embarrassing for the country, and it's, uh, and it's not a good sign for the future. Uh, on that happy note, uh, we'll end as we do each episode of the Individual One podcast with our updated percentages for Trump uh, being able to fulfill his first term in office and being reelected. I'm going to actually decrease the chances that he is not able to uh, to finish his first term in office from 5% down to 2%. It's exactly the opposite of, of what should happen in a rational world. <laughs> but that's that's a pretty good way of looking at things. Just do the opposite of what should happen in a rational world, and that's what's going to happen in the world we actually live in. So I think it's now 2%, which, you know, if you want to be an optimist, that's the same percentage I gave for Tiger Woods winning the Masters. So I was wrong about that. <laughs> So maybe I'll somehow be wrong about this. But I'm going to put it at 2% for him to uh, not finish his first term in office. And I'm going to keep his reelection percentage at 55%. Uh, politically, I'm not, I, weirdly, I'm not sure this is going to have that much impact, uh, at least in the short run. Maybe, uh, you know, if Democrats are able to play this right, maybe it will have an impact on the election, especially if Russia continues to try to influence it. Uh, and there's evidence of that. But as of right now, I still think that Donald Trump is a small percentage favor to be reelected, which is just, just pathetic. Um, we will be doing another episode of the Individual One podcast on Wednesday morning, Los Angeles time. We've got a good guest scheduled to talk about the aftermath and the Mueller report and whatever else happens between now and then. Please make sure that you subscribe to, rate, review, and share this program via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. My name is John Ziegler. Till next time, this is the Global Story Network.